song is going to be number 210. 210. What's that? How about now? There we go. Hopefully it wasn't on when I was singing a minute ago. <laughs> he had it muted up there. He's like, I heard that for about two seconds and got that shut off. Uh, all right, two, 210 is the invitation song. Uh, not sure if everybody heard me there. And uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who participated in today's worship, who, who did the announcements, uh, the prayer, and, and Carl, thank you for leading singing. And, you know, I know uh, a lot of songs. Like, uh, my family kind of makes fun of me because we, we're going through the book and our... Uh, our evening devotionals that we do, we decided we'd start at, at number one and see how many of the songs we know uh, and see if we could learn any. And I always know more than, than what they they know, I guess, because I've been around to so many different congregations growing up. Uh, I just know a lot of songs, but I don't know that number 211. I don't think I've ever heard that song, and I really liked it, so I appreciate you leading that. Y'all seem to know it just fine, but I didn't know it. And so it's good to... I love to learn new songs, so it was good. Uh, this morning I want to talk to you about something that I deal with, and I think probably everybody deals with uh, at some time, and it's probably up there. No, it's not up there. We got ahead of it. This isn't, still isn't going to work, so. Uh, <clears throat> go back. Back one. There we go. Dealing with discouragement. And we're going to look at First Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn in your Bibles there. We're going to look at 18. First uh, Kings 18 and 19, but 19 is where we're dealing with uh, discouragement. And I'm sure we have all been there. This week, I have been there. I've had a discouraging week with our secretary at house to house passing away, with my daughter going to the hospital. It has been a, uh, a difficult week, uh, particularly starting with Friday and, and moving forward. And I've been looking forward to coming here and being with all of you and being lifted up it's always a joy to be with all of you. It's an a honor and privilege to get the chance to speak to you, to teach class, and to preach. And, uh, and so I've been looking forward to that, helping build me up, help, helping to get me out of discouragement. Uh, but I'm sure that we have all been there. The best of God's people get discouraged. Uh, you can call it getting the blues, being, being down, depressed. Uh, it all comes to the same source, and that is being discouraged. Uh, and I think about David in, in the Psalms when he is running from Saul or after he has sinned uh, with Bathsheba. Yeah, that's just not going to work for me. Uh, <clears throat> and you look at John the baptizer in the New Testament. He's in prison. He sends his disciples out to talk to Jesus and say, are you really the Messiah? You know, he's down. He's, he's depressed. Uh, and things have not turned out the way he thought they would. Some of God's greatest servants were victims of discouragement. Uh, no one is immune from it. You know, preachers, Bible class teachers, secretaries. Uh, maybe you're, you're immune to it, Kathy. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, parents... Uh, Children, grandparents, widows, widowers, uh, we're all going to face moments of discouragement, moments where we're just down. Matthew 14, 27 tells us to be of good cheer, right? And, and we're 
supposed to do that. We're supposed to show people the joy that's inside of us. But sometimes it can be difficult when we are discouraged. So how do I approach this topic where I'm looking at a character in the Bible? Uh, I did first think of David, uh, who I already mentioned. There's a lot of different things that he faced that were points of discouragement for him. And many times uh, those were expressed in the Psalms. Then I thought of Job, the intensity of the things that he had to deal with, uh, the things that beset him. Uh, Certainly Job is someone we turn to a lot and look at the fact that he was someone who had to face a lot of discouragement, right? But then I wanted to turn to uh, Elijah. Elijah was one of God's great prophets. And in 1 Kings 19 and verse 4, if you read that, he says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree or juniper tree, and he asked that he might die saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah was so discouraged that he was ready to die. He wasn't going to kill himself, but he said, God, just go ahead and take my life. What was the cause of Elijah's discouragement? That's what I want to take a look at. And if you look, if you back up just a few verses into 1 Kings 18, and, and starting really in verse 20, through verse 40. I won't read all of that, but, but what has happened there? Go ahead and go to the next slide. He's, he's having a confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And a lot of Israel is following Baal. And there are these 450 priests, prophets of Baal. And the king and queen, they are following them. They are following Baal. And it's Elijah by himself, and he says to the people, he gathers them there at Mount Carmel, and he says, you need to choose. If God is God, you need to choose him. If Baal is God, then choose him. But you're going to choose. You can't just sit on the fence. You have to choose. You have to pick which one is the true God. And so he issues a challenge to the prophets of Baal. And he says, here's what we're going to do. Let's have a little contest. Let's, let's have two bulls, and we're going to kill them, and we're going to sacrifice them to our God. You to Baal, and me to the, the true and living God. And let's call down fire on this altar. And whichever God calls down and brings down fire, he will be the true God. Now the prophets of Baal very foolishly accept this proposal. And so they prepare the bull, they set up their altar, and they're going to dance around it. And they're going to call out to Baal. They're going to say, send us down fire. And he, he doesn't answer them. So they start cutting themselves, saying, oh, we, we, we are true believers. We believe in you, Baal. Please send down fire. And Elijah starts to make fun of them. He says, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you need to be louder. He says, maybe he's in the restroom. He actually says that. He says, maybe he's in the bathroom. You need, to, you need to wait for him to get out of the bathroom. And he says, uh, maybe he just doesn't care about you, right? He's making fun of them. And they, they go until they are exhausted. Go to the next slide. And go to the, yeah, right here. And they are just worn out with all of this. Now keep in mind that this is also during a drought. Uh, that's going to be important for this next section. 
God has, has made it be a drought over the land because the people are being so unfaithful, right? And we get to the next thing, and, and Elijah, he sets up 12 stones, one representing each tribe of Israel on the altar. And he sets the bull on it, and he has a trench dug around it. And he says, I want you to go get water and, and dump it on the altar. So I want to show you how powerful God is and that there's no trickery at play here. I'm not, I don't have a match concealed in my back pocket, right? I'm not going to, to be able to start a fire. We're going to have to make sure this is fire is coming from God. And he, he tells them to do that three times. Now, they're up on a mountain. I've actually been there. There's no well there. They have to go get this water during a drought. And he says, I want you to do it three times. I want to be absolutely sure that this altar, this sacrifice... Is, is really wet. It's really not possible to start a fire on this. And then they go to the next slide. He prays to God. And he asks God to send down fire. And what do you think happened? I mean, the fire comes, it consumes all the water, consumes the sacrifice, right? There's no question who won this little contest between God, the true and living God, and Baal, the God created by human hands, right? And so he puts those priests to death. All 450 are executed. And you would have to say that this is a great victory for the prophet Elijah. He has shown that while he was just one and they were 450, he has shown that the true and living God is the God that they should follow. And you would think having won this great victory, he's going to be on really a spiritual high. But unfortunately for him, the queen, Jezebel, she's not too happy about it, right? Those were her prophets that have just been killed and been shown up. They've been shown that they are not following the true religion. And sometimes people react to that by repenting, And following the true religion, sometimes they react violently. And that's what happens here. She says, I'm going to make sure Elijah dies. We're going to chase him. And so he has to flee. Uh, And that's what he does. He flees out of the wilderness. He leaves his servant behind. And he ends up uh, under that tree where he wishes to die. So he has just experienced a great victory. Between these mountains, these highs, spiritual highs that we have, they're often very deep and dark valleys. Coming down from a high point can be discouraging. Uh, it's sort of like after a vacation. You, know, you get back to work and all the work is piled up. How long does it take you to be back at work before that whole vacation is kind of wiped out, right? Not very long. Uh, and uh, speaking from experience, I just dread it because I know that You know, I've got that much work piled up on my desk while I was gone. And some feel this after polishing the pulpit. You know, you go to polish the pulpit and there's 5,000 other Christians there and it's a real spiritual high. You're surrounded by Christians all day. You're uplifted all week. And then you go back to home. For me, it's when I go to Walmart and I see all all the people that are not following Christ, right? And you're, you're kind of confronted by it. Uh, and it's, it's really sad. It's discouraging. 
And when we look at 1 Kings 18, this contest between Baal and God, and Elijah conquering the 450 prophets of Baal, and then in chapter 19, now he's alone. He has gone from a spiritual high point of this great victory to being chased, hunted, killed. This opposition from other people, we see it in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with his sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away from my life, for I am no better than my father's. That's what's happened at this point. So one of the things is experiencing a great victory and then having a letdown after that. Another is opposition from other people, which we see in 1 Kings 19, there you go, 1 through 4. Uh, sometimes when we are standing for something that's right, people are still going to strongly oppose us, right? We get that in Matthew 5. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5 and verses 10 through 12. Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Is it easy to rejoice, to be happy when people are persecuting you? No, it's not easy at all, right? And who is it that does that? Well, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's people in the church, right? And you feel let down. You feel like you've been betrayed. Sometimes your grandson will comment on your preaching, and it's just really sad. (laughs) You feel betrayed, and many who have converted, what's their first instinct? What do they want to do? When you first converted to the truth, and you found out all this stuff that the Bible teaches and that you have obtained salvation from your sins. You're going to heaven. What do you want to do? You want to share that with your friends and with your family. But oftentimes they're not ready to listen, are they? It can be very discouraging to try to share your newfound faith. They can't wait to get home and tell their parents or their spouse or their children or their friends. But more often than not, the reception that they get will be discouraging. Uh, sometimes I've, I've experienced people being disowned, being kicked out of the house over accepting the truth and being baptized. They can be cast out. People don't always want to listen. You know, and they're not alone in that. There's, there's many instances of that. In the New Testament, Paul had Demas, for instance. At one time, Demas was his supporter and helped him. But later, he, he's in love with this world and he is betraying Paul. That's 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10. Jesus had that, didn't he? He had Judas. He had Peter. You know, Peter denies him, and he looks over at Peter when he does that. 
I've always thought that that look must have just been so powerful, right? And, and Peter goes out and, and cries, he weeps. You know, a third factor that can lead to discouragement is physical factors. You know, in 1 Kings 19.3, which we just read, he is running and then he's alone. And he goes out a day into the wilderness. He's probably exhausted. He's struggling. Uh, and it can make you want to give up. It breaks you down. The same kind of thing happens in the army or in the military. They, they break you down through that military training. They exhaust you. And they do that to the point of exhaustion so that you break and then they can build you back up the way they want you to be in the military. That's how they, they work. Uh, maybe you've been working in the church, you've been laying groundwork with someone, working hard to be a good example, planting seeds, and then someone you are, are working with just says something that knocks you down, knocks the wind out of you, discourages you. It can be uh, discouraging. And there are all types of physical problems. Right? We all have health issues, uh, which it can be dealing with discouragement from a health issue, like with my daughter going to the hospital this weekend, or by a caregiver. Right? It can be discouraging, hard, taxing on the body to, to take care of them or of their needs, right? To the point of intense discouragement. You know, the Apostle Paul had some health problems. We don't know exactly what it was. But we know that he had a thorn in the flesh and he wanted to be rid of it. Timothy had problems with his stomach. Uh, and we see, of course, that Job faced many health problems during his trials. But when you face a disability or a health problem or a caregiving situation, of course we need to focus on prayer and Bible study and try to find others to help lift us up in the church uh, but we also need to try to take lessons from that that we can help other people who are going to go through similar things in the future. So we, we've got to look for those types of lessons. You know, Julius Caesar had epilepsy. Beethoven became deaf and still wrote the Ninth Symphony. Uh, they didn't let it stop them from doing their work, and we should also take a lesson from that. A fourth thing that contributed to Elijah's discouragement was probably loneliness. You know, certainly he's by himself out there in the wilderness, and he's left his servant behind. But we read in 19, 1 Kings 19, verses uh, 9 and 10. It says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Right, he's all by himself. He feels that he's the only one faithful to God. He says in verse 10, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away, right? You know, he, he feels like he's the only one left who's holding the faith here. Now, he's not, and God's going to talk about that in just a moment. But it can feel that way sometimes. We feel like we're battling it. By ourselves, And I think if you read Hebrews chapter 10, you know, we turn to this passage all the time. We read Hebrews 10, 25 about not neglecting meeting together. We talk about how you should be faithful. You should come to, to church every time the doors are open. You should be here Wednesday night. Every, every time the doors are open, you should be here. And, and the passage applies to that, but it's, it's starting in the middle of a, a sentence if you just start in verse 25, look at verse 24. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how to stir 
up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Why should we meet together? Well, because we don't want people to feel alone, because they're not alone. We're holding the faith. We're being faithful. We need encouragement from our brothers and sisters, and that's one reason we need to come together to meet. It's one of the reasons we have fellowship meals, which I, for one, am looking forward to, having already sampled one of your fellowship meals. Uh, I can tell you that I, I have not missed many meals, and I very much enjoy fellowship meals. Uh, not just for the food, but also for the building up. Right? Now, sometimes people say, well, I don't really need encouragement. I'm not discouraged. Well, you need to be there for your brothers and sisters who are discouraged. We need to be there to lift each other up. There are a few things that are as discouraging as being alone. In 1 Kings 19 and verse 14, he seems to be saying that no one is listening, no one is responding. Right? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets and the sword, and I only am left. Right? All right. There's a type of bamboo tree in China that you plant it and you water it and you fertilize it and nothing happens. And you come back the second year and you plant it and you water it and you fertilize it and nothing happens. You do the same thing for the third, fourth, fifth year. Then you do it on the sixth year and it grows 90 feet in six weeks. Now, did it grow 90 feet in six weeks or in six years? It grew in six years. You just couldn't see it growing until it grew that last six weeks. Sometimes we can't see the results of our work right away, but the Lord will never leave us. He promises us in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? So Elijah has gone from the peak to the valley. He's facing this opposition. He's got physical factors. He feels alone. How does he overcome it? (coughs) A couple of ways. Uh, First, by understanding the power of God. Look at 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11. It says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? All right, so all of these things happen to Elijah, right? There's the the rocks, the earthquake, the fire. But God comes at the quiet moment. Of all that. God shows him his power. We understand the power of God. We understand his greatness, his majesty. What about Jezebel? You know, she thinks she's the powerful one, but what is she to God? What about death? Well, God can raise people from the dead, and he will raise all of us. What about physical problems? Well, God is going to give me a new body someday, right? So when we feel discouraged, 
we should take faith in God's power. Second, when he felt discouraged, he went to work. Look at verses 15 and 16. He says, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. He gave him work to do. He said, go back. Quit sitting here. Go back and do work. Now, I get the feeling he didn't really want to do any of that, that God did not want him to sit there and wallow in self-pity. Oftentimes, if we are discouraged, if we will help someone else, we will find that it helps us, right? And then God also pointed out that Elijah was not alone. He was discouraged about something that wasn't a reality. He felt like he was the only one left. But if we look at 1 Kings 19 and verse 18, he says, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. There were 7,000 people who had not bowed to Baal, who had not betrayed the Lord. So he thought he was alone, but he wasn't. Sometimes things that we worry about will never even happen. They will never take place, or they are out of our control. Or they are things that are not, just not a reality. And we aren't alone in that. That's certainly how Elijah felt, right? Here at White Oak, maybe it sometimes feels like we're, we're small, smaller than we used to be, right? And maybe we feel like we're, we're alone. We can't get discouraged about that because it's not true, right? Last time I was at PTP, which was two years ago, there were 5,000 people there. We worshiped together. We sang It was very encouraging. There were people from 35 states and 12 foreign countries there. There are people all over the world who are worshiping today on the first day of the week just like we are. We are not alone. And then there are some things that can help us get over discouragement. You know, when the Mississippi River floods, people think it can be... A catastrophe, right? But it also brings richness to the soil. Sometimes beneath the burden, there is a blessing. Sometimes you may be going through a trial just so you can become stronger, so you can take the lessons from it that you learned to deal with something else in the future or to help others. So one thing is to look for blessings in your burdens and trials. Try to not look at it as something happening to you and instead have something happening for you. Number two, sometimes we just need rest. Elijah went there and he rested. Sometimes we need to back off and take a break. Jesus did, and he was perfect. He retreated, he prayed. So take some time to yourself. Number three, talk to yourself. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, I always found this interesting. She could have said to herself, you know, I've been to all these doctors. I've wasted all my money. They, they've taken all my money. They've done nothing to help me. I'm going to just give up. But in Matthew 9.21, it says she said within herself. She talked to herself, right? It's okay to talk to yourself. Maybe when you start answering yourself is when you need to be concerned. But it's okay to talk to yourself and build yourself up. Give yourself positive reinforcement. She talked to herself and said... If I may but touch his garment, I shall be made whole. So don't tell yourself you're a failure, nobody cares. 
right? Encourage yourself, lift yourself up. That's the language of those who are discouraged. But you are not alone. Build yourself up. Number four, conquer self-pity. You know, we were told in Matthew 16 that we are to, to crucify ourselves. We're to be crucified. Uh, William F. Dean was a prisoner of war for three years. When asked how he overcame discouragement, he said, I never let myself feel sorry for myself, and I beat it. Number five, accept that you have intrinsic value. The language of discouraged is, I don't matter. I don't have any value. But God says that you are more valuable than sparrows, right? The Lord has need of thee. The one talent man... He didn't think that it really mattered, that he could make a difference with just one talent. So he went and buried it. All right? But God said that is not the way to be. You do have value. Number six, be perpetually optimistic. You know, two shoe salesmen went to Africa and they said, you know, it's hopeless. One of them said, it's hopeless. There's no market over here. Nobody wears shoes. And the other one said, it's great over here. The market is limitless. Nobody wears shoes. Right? So it's all in how you look at it, right? Let's be optimistic and let's try to build good things. Number seven, we need to consider how useless we are when we feel discouragement. Acts 4.36, Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement, but what if he had been a person who was discouraged and he wasn't encouraging others? We wouldn't know his name and the benefits would have been lost. Number eight, every cause of your discouragement is only temporary. Whatever it is, even if it's something that's going to last the rest of your physical life, it's only temporary. Your life is not that long. James says it's like a vapor, right? Someone said their favorite Bible passage is where it says, and it came to pass. That's a a good idea, right? It's a good thought, is that all the promises God has ever given his people come to pass. God never makes a promise and doesn't follow through. So whatever it is, is only temporary. Number nine, God has promised that you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. Sometimes it feels like we can just barely bear it, right? But God has promised that he will always provide a way out. And then number 10 is prayer. When you're discouraged, pray. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, David encouraged himself in the Lord. Take the causes of our discouragement to the Lord in prayer. When Jesus was facing Golgotha, he knew what he was in for, right? What did he do? He separated himself and he prayed. And God sent an angel to help him. So Elijah overcomes his discouragement, and he is the most mentioned prophet in the New Testament. We think about Elijah after this. He serves for another 21 years, and then he is one of only two people who never died. He overcame his discouragement and he went on to serve the Lord with distinction. Right? And God rewarded him. He came and got him in a fiery chariot. The only other one like that is Enoch. He says, walked with God. Right? So by living righteously, he overcame it. And we think about that and we can overcome discouragement. This is our time. You know, the world is discouraged right now. The entire world is discouraged, and we have the hope that they need. Their hope is not in a vaccine. It's in Jesus. We need to turn the world 
to Jesus. Despite what the news says, despite what leaders say, this is our time. When the world is discouraged, we turn to God. And we want people to be part of the kingdom, of the kingdom that will last forever. We want people to go to heaven. So this morning, if you are discouraged for any reason, and you are not part of that kingdom, we would encourage you to become part of that kingdom. We will build you up. We will encourage you. We will help you in the Lord. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, we would encourage you to do that today or to study with one of us about that. If you have done that, but you've become discouraged, you've let discouragement, let sin come back into your life, let us help you build yourself back up. We'll be there for you as your brothers and sisters in Christ. We will help you. We will be there every step of the way. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, please come, make it right as we stand and sing.